Hold up, Excel. Hey, listen, I need to uh, right off the jump, just real quick clarify some things. Because um, some people are like, oh, man, this is going to be your last service. That is incorrect. This is not my last service with Excel. I will be here for at least the next two weeks while Pastor Izzy and his wife Ariel are transitioning and making their way out here. Your boy's still going to be here covering. Uh, but I do want to make sure you guys all are aware, and we would love to make sure all of you are present this Sunday at 10 a.m. at church at 6050, right at the front of the building. Uh, we are having a special service. It's a transition service where we're going to be transitioning from our lead pastor who is now retiring, Pastor Carlos, to our new lead pastor, myself. And so we're going to have a real special moment with that. On top of that, I'm dedicating my daughters on Sunday. And so we want to make sure. Hey, you... You know you like my kids when you cheered more for the fact that I was going to dedicate my daughters than the fact that I got promoted. Uh, but it's all good. It's all whatever. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I get it. I, do, I would do that too. Uh, but listen, hey, we want to make sure you guys are sitting up front. We want to make sure that you're seeing that and that you pray with us. It's a very special moment for me and my family. And I always include you as part of my family. So I want to make sure that you're there uh, supporting us as everything that God is doing. And so officially, I will become the lead pastor starting on Sunday. And I'll just kind of be playing double duty in the meantime. Um, and uh, it's funny because it's been a journey, right? Like I, I was thinking about this. When I started youth ministry, I was single. And I'm ending now married with two children. Uh, it's been a little bit over 13 years that I've been doing this. On top of the five years that I served as a youth leader. On top of the three or four years that I came as a student. So for over 20 years, I just, Thursday night was always Excel for me. And so it's going to be kind of weird the first couple of weeks that I'm not going to be here Thursday night. I'm just going to be like, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, but I think about it. It's not like everything happens overnight. And I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the grind, right? Because I think a lot of times we only see the final product we see a finished product, and sometimes we can get envious, we can get jealous, we can get insecure about somebody else's final product, and we can feel less than when we look at ourselves. But the problem is you're only focusing on the final product. You're not looking at the grind that it took to get to that process, right? Like we all watch basketball, you got the playoffs now, and you're seeing Seth Curry dropping threes like it's nobody's business, and you're like, wow, he's amazing. Yeah, but that didn't happen overnight. Right? You didn't see the years and the millions and millions of shots that he threw up. You didn't see all the ones he missed in order to get to the point where he's making most of them. That's the grind, right? The grind is that time in the darkness when you're hidden, when nobody else is watching, when there's no spotlight on you, when nobody knows your name, and you are just grinding. Okay, and, and even for me, like I think about my journey and there was just so much of the grind. It's not like I just became a good youth pastor overnight. Quite honestly, like I wasn't really good in the beginning. I remember early on, like I was relying solely on my skill because I hadn't spent enough time grinding into God's word and studying and learning and becoming everything that God called me to be. And so for a while, I just had natural ability, but natural ability wasn't ever going to be enough. And so when natural ability combined with hard work is when you get champions, right? It's when you get to that point where you excel, sorry, I threw that word in there, in everything that God has called you to do. And everybody is part of a grind. Don't, don't let anybody fool you. Don't let anybody think like, oh, I just accidentally got to the top. 
everybody grinds. And even with little things, right? Some of y'all are gamers and, you know, you got a couple of you I know that are pay to play and that's cool. You know, you just buy packs after packs after packs and then, and, and, you know, nobody's going to act like you don't. But then there's the ones that they're just grinding like way too much, like 17 hours a day, like just to get that fresh pack and that new skin. And it's like, yo, that's obsessive, man. That's like, but that's the grind, right? That's the work. That's the effort. You want to get in shape? It's a grind. You want to get stronger? It's a grind. You want to be successful in school? It's a grind. One of my favorite schools, University of Chicago, which is one of the top schools in the nation. Do you know what their motto is? Where fun comes to die. Why? Because they are all about the grind, right? That's the kind of school like you can't even get in it if you're not about the grind. And so I think about that because I really believe there's really nothing on this planet that anyone can excel at without grinding to get there, without taking the time and effort to get along. I mean, again, it's like the problem, I think, is we don't want to do the grind because grinding is, is tiring. That's why it's called the grind, right? It's exhausting. And so we want finished product without grind, right? We just, well, how come I just can't get good grades? Because you're not practicing. You're not doing your homework. You're not studying. You're not putting in the grind. You're like, I should have got an A in that class. No, you shouldn't have. I had one friend in, in high school, I remember, uh, I was hanging out with the, our, our um, gym teacher, and uh, he goes, his name was Coach Husband, and uh, the guy comes up, he's like, yo, Hus, man, what's up? Hey, what's up, bro? Coach, I thought we was cool. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, you failed me. He's like, yeah, but we're still cool. You just failed my class, <laughs> right? He's like, what is he expecting? Because we have a relationship that you should have passed me. But what he was saying is like, no, no, no. You can't sidestep the grind and still get to the finish line. You can't side, there's no shortcuts into this aspect of your life. And again, I'm sorry, we can have all the aspirations we want. Oh, I want to do this and I want to be that and I want to, great. Everything you want to do has a certain element of grind to it. Has a certain element of effort that you're going to have to do. I want to go to a good college, Uh uh-huh. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to figure out. You're going to have to uh, find out what kind of scholarships are available. You're going to have to get the finances in order. You're going to have to do things that are going to require work to get done. I want to join the basketball team. You're going to have to pray, practice. right? I want to be a ballet dancer. You're going to have to practice. There's grind in anything and everything you do. I want to be a good cook. Yep, grind. Okay, Everything requires grind, including your spiritual maturity. I am sorry to tell you this, but I need you to understand because I'm thinking about like my last few weeks as your youth pastor and I'm, and I'm really trying to figure out well, what do I want to make sure I communicate and I don't, I'm not too stressed. It's not like I'm never going to talk to you guys again. Obviously every Sunday, hopefully you come to church, uh, you, you'll hear me. But one of the things that I really want to impress on you is to own your spiritual walk and grind. Work hard at growing into the man and the woman that God has called you to be. And again, if you think you can go without that, you are sorely mistaken because even Jesus had to grind, right? Even Jesus had to grind. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see all throughout his life, the grind. Uh, As a matter of fact, when you look at the life of Jesus, it's kind of weird because there's some elements to it that I don't think people fully understand. Um, Early on in the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life, you have his birth, right? 
comes at a baby, born in a major, all that stuff. And then after his birth, you get like a few glimpses into him as an adolescent. And then you get this like one final story when he was kind of like a preteen, junior higher. And then you don't hear anything until he's about 30. Which I've always, as a youth pastor, found incredibly interesting. Because the time of Jesus' life that we don't hear about were his teenage and young adult years. We don't have much written about his teenage and young adult years except one verse. There is one verse that sums up what happened between around 10, 12 years old till 30. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at it. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. What happened to Jesus during his teenage and young adult lives? Their life? He grew. He grinded. He spent 30 years preparing for three years worth of ministry. And a lot of people think that they can go to college for three years and prepare for 30 years worth of ministry. But Jesus flipped that. All those years, we don't hear anything because there's really nothing to say. He's grinding. Right? When you're on the grind, nobody sees it. Like, they don't televise practice. They televise the game. You're just seeing the game. You don't see all the shots. We're not seeing the two and a half hours worth of jump shots that they're throwing in the middle of the night. That's boring for most people. That's the boring stuff. And so we don't get a glimpse into the grinding parts of Jesus' life. But what we do understand is he was growing. And that's the thing I need you to understand. You are in a season of growing. You don't have to be there already. I know you feel a lot of that pressure. I know some of you uh, seniors and juniors, you're getting that pressure of trying to figure out and I, it, the weight of the world. It's like, oh my God, I got to figure out my entire life in the next four months. I got to figure out what I'm going to do forever. And the truth is you don't. Most college freshmen don't finish college with the same degree they started with. Because you're growing, you're figuring yourself out, you're understanding things about you, you're understanding things about God, you're understanding things about the world. There is growth that is happening to you, and what you need to understand is growth has to be purposeful or else growth gets out of control. All right? You don't just grow, you know, because a lot of us are like, oh, just let it grow. That's how things get crooked, that's how things get out of warp. No, no, there has to be control within that growth. It's like sometimes I like to watch, uh, Japanese people do this all the time. I think they're awesome. You know that you can make like watermelons into different shapes, like heart shapes and square shapes. And you know why? They put it in a little case when it's small. And as it grows, it forms to the case. And so they sell square watermelons and heart-shaped watermelons. And they sell them for a lot of money. (laughs) Why? Because you formed it during the process of growth. So what I'm saying is, don't just grow aimlessly. Be focused in your growth. Be concentrated in how you're growing. And so Jesus, he grew in some specific areas. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all the people. So I want to break that down real quick so that we all kind of understand what the scriptures are saying. If you're taking notes, the first thing is pretty obvious. Jesus grew in wisdom. Say wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. Well, what's wisdom? Wisdom is experience, knowledge, and good judgment. 
Wisdom is experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Here's the problem of why a lot of young people don't have a lot of wisdom, because you don't have a lot of experience, right? Experience comes with age. And so sometimes you just haven't been around long enough to have that kind of experience. But as you gain more experience in anything, you gain wisdom, you gain understanding, you gain knowledge, you start to grow. Listen, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5 through 8 says, get wisdom, right? I love that it says get wisdom. Don't wait for wisdom. You got to actually go after it. You got to go after experiences. You got to go after knowledge. There's work. There is a grind to growing in wisdom. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And that kind of redundant? I love that. What's the wisest thing I can do? Get wisdom. The wisest thing you can do is get wisdom. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. There was a season when I was a a student at Excel where I was obsessed with wisdom. Where I just wanted to grow. I just wanted to become wise. And so what did I start doing? I just read Proverbs over and over again. Because Proverbs is a book on wisdom. So I'm like, I just want to read Proverbs. And I got really into quotes. I started reading all types of quotes from all different books. But man, when I got into the book of Proverbs, and I started to study that, and I started to apply that to my life, I felt like I began to grow in wisdom. And part of why I wanted wisdom is because I acted like an idiot. And people didn't take me seriously. And so I needed to develop. I needed to get better. I realized if God's ever going to use me, people got to take me seriously. I was a joke because I spent most of my life making jokes. And so I needed to start to adapt. I needed to start to grow. And I understood if I'm going to grow into who God called me to be, I need wisdom. Right? Why is wisdom so important? Because if you prize wisdom, it'll fight for you in your character. Wisdom protects you. People will will think more of you because they understand, no, no, that person's wise. It's part of what I've always loved about Pastor Carlos as he's getting ready to retire. One of the things that I've esteemed about him more than probably anything else is he is wise. And I've loved his wisdom. And I've seen his wisdom in practice. I've seen people literally curse him out and him not say anything back. And a Chicago, he's like, yo, I'll punch him in the mouth for you, Pastor, if you want. And he's like, you don't need to do that. God will justify me. I don't need to justify myself. And time and time again, I see God do it. Like there was just such an incredible wisdom on what moves to make and when to make them and and where to go and how to get there and, and understanding how to navigate your life. That all comes from wisdom, from experience and making good choices and compounding those good choices into more good choices. So a lot of us, what we struggle with is not that we're dumb, we're just not wise yet. Because wisdom doesn't have to do with uh, mental intellect. There are a lot of really smart people who have no wisdom. And there are a lot of uneducated people with a ton of wisdom. You get them old heads, right? Like them really old grandma that look at you like, you know, if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. And you're like, yo, that's deep, man. Like, I don't even know where that came from, right? Where's that come from? It comes from experience. Right? Comes from experience. Some of y'all grandparents, if you're like me, like they didn't even have a full education. They didn't get past third grade. But they're wise. Why? Because they gained experience. Some of you, listen, I need you to understand this because some of you, you're not, 
You're not book smart if I can say it that way. And that's okay because not everybody's built the same way. You don't got to be book smart. Which, by the way, just because you're not book smart doesn't automatically make you street smart. You could be dumb in two areas. <laughs> just just want to point that out. Like Some of y'all are like, I ain't book smart, but I'm street smart. Nah, you dumb in both places, bro. Okay, just pointing that out. But just because you're not book smart doesn't mean it's disqualifying you from being able to be wise. And just because you are smart doesn't automatically make you wise. Wisdom is the understanding of how to apply the knowledge that you've been given. It's being able to distinguish on which direction to go when you have these options. And godly wisdom takes it a step further. Luke chapter 2 verse 45 through 46 says this. When they couldn't find him, this is a story of when Jesus was at the temple and uh, his parents had brought him there. He was still a young kid at the time. His parents brought him to the temple and then all of a sudden he disappears. Which if you've ever had like a little brother or sister disappear, everybody gets freaked out, right? Like you go to the store manager like, I don't know where my little brother is. I don't know where my little sister is. They lock down the whole store and they find him in the video game section on that little free game or in the candy section somewhere dumb. So they couldn't find Jesus at church. And it says when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later. Yo, they lost their kid for three days. That's some DCFS shows up at your door type stuff. (laughs) Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. This ain't in my notes, but I need you to understand something. One of the best ways to grow in wisdom is to sit with wise people and just ask questions. Man, if I can't, I sit in so many rooms and I judge rooms hunger for learning by how many questions they ask. Because I was always hungry to ask questions. When I became a youth pastor, when I first became a youth pastor, I had a list of questions, 10 to 15 questions that I asked every pastor I came across. Every person that I thought was further in the journey than I was, I would pull them aside and I would say, hey, listen, I got some questions I'd love to ask you. Would you mind if I pick your brain a little bit? And they would give me up to an hour, hour and a half of just sitting with them, asking them questions after questions. Now that I'm entering into this new role as a lead pastor, guess what your boy is doing? Asking a lot of questions. Because I've never been here before. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to act. I'm going to ask questions. Some of you don't have answers simply because you don't ask questions or You're asking questions to idiots, (laughs) okay? And so he sat down with the religious leaders, with the people in charge, listening to them and asking questions. What circles are you sitting in and what kind of questions are you asking? And if you're wondering why your wisdom's not growing, maybe it's because you're either sitting in the wrong circle or you're asking the wrong questions. Okay, that's the freebie. That's the Lord right there. That's a little extra, extra. Listen, Jesus could have been anywhere during that Passover in Jerusalem. He could have found people his age and started playing games. He could have went sightseeing through the ancient views of Jewish history. He could have got into trouble just because being bored. Let's be honest, y'all. How many of us got in trouble just because we were bored? Just start doing dumb things because we're bored, looking at dumb things because we're bored, going on sites we shouldn't be going on because we're bored. Jesus could have done all that stuff. Instead, he was sitting among wise men learning and teaching. When I first got to Excel as a 15, 16-year-old kid, I would try to show up at this building every chance I got. I would hang out with the maintenance men because some of them were leaders at Excel. I would come hang out with the maintenance guys, and I would put tables together. Some of the tables in this church I put together when I was 16 years old. And I would paint walls 
and I would put chairs up. Why? I just wanted to hang out with you, man. I just want to learn from you. I just want to ask questions. Why does the Bible say this? And how, why did Jesus do that? And how do, how do I do this? And what am I supposed to do in this situation? I love just sitting around people that were further along and just asking questions. Listen, if you can be a master at asking questions, you will grow in wisdom beyond anybody else in your circle. It's the ones who just don't ask questions. Just recently, I sat on a board of directors for a healthcare provider, and I got invited to sit on the finance committee. And I'm like, yo, I don't know a lot about finance. Like, I hate math. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Like, math is not my thing. And I said, don't worry, we'll teach you. So I'm sitting there in the finance. Now, listen, we are dealing with millions and millions of dollars. Like, oh, we have profits of $10 million this quarter. And I'm like, holy crap. They're going through all the stuff. And at one point I said, forgive my ignorance, but you keep using this term. What does that term mean? And they said, no problem at all, Joey. It means da-da-da-da-da, and it explains this and this and that. Awesome, that's great. Hey, don't be afraid to ask a question, Joey. We're going to hear it. We're going to show you. We're going to teach you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Afterward, the lead accountant came over to me and said, hey, Joey, next meeting we have, if you'd like, come an hour early, and I'll walk you through some of these terms and things so that you can figure this out and learn a little bit better. I said, hey, man, I really appreciate that. That's, that's great. Why did he offer that? Because I asked a question. When here's what happens most of the time. You sit there feeling dumb because you don't know something and you're like, if I ask a question, everybody's gonna think I'm dumb. No, if you don't ask a question, you just keep being dumb. So get over your insecurity and just ask the question. Hey, I'm sorry if this sounds like a dumb question, but you keep using the word grace. What does grace mean? Great question. I'd rather you ask that than just keep, I don't even know what he's talking about. Ask the question then. Like after service, if, if, if I preach something or Pastor Izzy preached something and you don't get it, pull him aside and say, hey, listen, you kept using that term. I don't know what that term means. What, is, what does that mean? Man, I'm glad you asked. I didn't even think about explaining that term. It means this, this, and this. Awesome. Now I get what you said. You feeling me? So listen, that's godly wisdom, right? Instead of sitting with, with dummies, he was sitting with wise people. Listen, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Keep company with the wise and you become wise. Wow, isn't that novel? <laughs> Keep company with the wise and you become wise. If you make friends with stupid people, you will be ruined. Hey, do me a favor real quick. Just where you're sitting. You don't have to say this out loud. Think about the people that you sit with. Are they wise or are they stupid? And maybe you need to start. I'm not saying in this room. I'm not saying in this room. I just mean in life. And maybe... Maybe you're not where you want to be just because you're not sitting with those who want to be there. And here's the problem. Sometimes we're loyal to a fault. But they're my friend. I get that. But God is taking you somewhere they're not willing to go. That doesn't mean you discontinue the friendship. It just means maybe they're not in that immediate circle anymore. And that's okay because circles change and that's fine. Circles change naturally. Like if you get into the medical field, your circle is going to change because not all your homies growing up are going to go into that field. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. It just means, listen, you got to be careful about your immediate circle and the people that you're allowing to sit there because the ones who sit with you are the ones that you're asking questions to, right? And listen, we get that. Some of y'all, a lot of y'all, when you're cheating on a test at school, you don't ask your best friend all the time because you know my best friend dumber than me. I'm asking that other person who's been getting straight A's and I don't talk to, and all of a sudden I want to be their friend in this moment because they got the right answer. You know who to ask the questions to when you need the real help. All I'm saying is if you start doing that with your life, maybe things will go a little bit different. 
Listen, that's why Jesus didn't understand why it took his parents three days to find him. Listen to what he says in Luke 2, 48 and 49. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And listen to his response. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? He's saying, why'd you go back to Jerusalem to look for me? This is where I was going to be. This is where I have to be. When I uh, first started coming to Excel, my mom had a hard time because she didn't know this church. She didn't know if it was a cult or whatever. Like, she's like, I don't know where you're going. And there was a moment where I had, literally, this verbatim was what I told my mom. I said, mom, if I don't go spiritually, I'm going to die. I need to go to this church. Because I was surrounded with young people that were trying to have a relationship with God as hard as I was. And where I was currently with my family, there was nobody my age. And so I remember saying, mom, if I don't go spiritually, I will die You have to let me go. And then when she began to see the fruit of my life, she started telling all her girlfriends, well, you need to take them to where my son goes because I'm seeing what God is doing in my son's life. You feeling me? Jesus grew in wisdom. Number two, he grew in stature. What does stature mean? Stature is the reputation gained. Reputation gained. Listen, reputation is not what we say we are. Our lives are speaking so loudly about us that people cannot hear what we say about ourselves. Our lives are speaking so loudly about us that people don't hear what you say about yourself. What do I mean by that? It means that it doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that's going to build your reputation. Right? So you can be like, hey, listen, I am special, I'm unique, I'm this and this and that. But if you don't act that way, we're like, no, you're not. You know what I'm saying? Like you can walk around and be like, yo, I'm the smartest person in school. And everybody's like, no, you're not. Because <laughs> like, talk is cheap. Because a lot of times we want to say something and portray ourselves as something, but your actions are going to speak louder. I think if we're honest, that's why a lot of us have a hard time telling people we're Christians. Because we know that our life isn't backing it up. Because when we say we're Christian and then they look at you and go, but you was just cursing that other dude out a minute ago. You're like, yeah, yeah, but you know. I'm still, I'm Christian. (laughs) It's confusing for them. And so it's confusing for you. Reputation is not what we think of ourselves, but rather what we are known to others as. Like it or not, that's what a reputation is. You might have a bad reputation and it may not be founded on anything good, but the reality is that a reputation is what other people view you as. It is a predictable response to a future influence or situation. So if you have a bad reputation, if you have a bad reputation of being a bad driver, it might have been because you crashed one time. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, don't let this guy drive because he's going to you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, bro, that was like one time. One time too many, homie. I was in the car with you. Right? So sometimes it's not even our fault. But a lot of times it is our fault. Because you have control over, to a certain extent, your reputation and how you act and how you portray yourself. Listen, Proverbs 22, remember, book of wisdom, verse 1. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. Choose a good reputation, meaning you have a choice in this. You have an opportunity to some extent, to choose how people are going to view you. And a lot of us, we choose badly. Or we're like, I don't care what anybody thinks, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you do. 
That's just what you say so you don't feel bad about what other people are thinking about you. And listen, again, I get it. The world is filled with haters, especially when it comes to like junior high girls. I don't know, y'all are evil half the time. Like, and then, and then, and they come up with these bad reputations and they're talking out their neck. And I'm like, yo, that's messed up. But truth be told, for most of us, especially as we grow, our reputation is based on what we've allowed people to think and see how we are. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Listen, the goal is to have a good reputation, not just with people, but with God. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. People are always going to have their opinion of you, right or wrong. But if you fight for your reputation in heaven, it will follow you with people. You hear what I'm saying? Don't try to build a reputation or choose a reputation to impress people. Build a reputation in heaven and that follows you with people. If you're more concerned about God's opinion of you than man's opinion of you, then when God is looking on you favorably, guess what? Men look on you favorably as well. It naturally follows. But if your only uh, idea is to try to make a good reputation in front of people, then you will do whatever it takes, even if it dishonors God, to make sure that you look good in front of other people. And what I'm trying to help you understand is if you focus on a good reputation in heaven, it follows you on earth. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give you honor to God when he judges the world. What is it saying? It's saying if you behave correctly, if you do what's right, it protects you. There have been more than one occasion where my good reputation protected me from other people's slander or gossip. Where people would say something or, or they try to talk trash about me and the people who were listening would go, that doesn't sound like Pastor Joey. Your reputation will protect you when you're not there. Or it'll condemn you. Oh, you know, so-and-so, Lenny came over and da-da-da. It's like, yep, that sounds like Lenny. I believe that. Why? Because he's got a bad reputation. Or, hey, Lenny came over and da-da-da. It's like, man, you know what? I bet Lenny would do that. He's awesome. Because he has a good reputation. So your reputation will either condemn you or protect you when you're not in the room. And can I just be honest? Let's be honest. People are going to talk about you when you're not in the room. People are going to say things about you when you're not in the room. So maybe instead of getting mad about what they say, live in such a way that even if you're not in the room, they can't speak poorly about you. Why? Because they carry yourself with a good reputation. No, no, that's not Gio. He would never do that. I already know him. I'm telling you he didn't. Listen, whatever that is, that's not even my issue. You need to talk to him. No, 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 that's not Grace. Grace would never do that. No, 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 that's not Roxanne. I know Roxanne. I've seen Roxanne. Your reputation will either protect you or condemn you. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Right? Some of your classmates, some of your best friends don't even know you're a Christian. Is there enough evidence about your life and the way you live, not in this room, honestly, but outside of this room, that if you were arrested for being a Christian, we would be able to convict you of it? The answer to that question tells you what you need to know about your spiritual stature. Third thing is this. He grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, and he grew in favor. What's favor? 
Favor is approval or likability, right? You might recognize that word favor from the word favorite. Favor is a friendly regard shown toward another, especially by a superior, approving to consider, right? Some of y'all, you got siblings, you know who the favorite sibling is. You know who your mom's favorite is. You know who your dad's favorite is. I know that I am both my mom and dad's favorite because I'm awesome. Like, you know, Aaliyah feels me. She knows what's up. <laughs> Naya's like, mm-mm. Listen, favor isn't always fair, but it's a reality, right? And it's not always about being the favorite. I'm not saying God chooses favorites, but he does show favor upon those who favor him. The favor of God can be described as tangible evidence that a person has the approval of the Lord. When you walk in right steps with God, he will show favor on your life. When you don't, he will frustrate your life. You will either receive favor or frustration based on the life that you live. When we favor someone, we want to be with him or her. We delight in them. We connect with her or him in a way that we don't connect with everyone else. We usually favor people who also favor us, right? My wife is my favorite because I'm her favorite and vice versa. We show favor on people who favor us in the same way God shows favor to the ones who delight in, connect with, and give honor to him. Your favor with God is vital. Isaiah chapter 66 Verse 2 says this, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. What does that mean? That means God has favorites. Or at least those he shows favor on. And a lot of times we can get jealous about that. Cain and Abel had that situation. Right? Cain and Abel in the Bible, it tells us that they both gave offerings to God. Cain gave a bad offering. Some of his leftover junk. Abel gave his best. And the Bible says that God showed favor on Abel and Cain got mad. And God's like, why are you mad though? If you would have done what was right, you would have got favor too. So a lot of times, it's not so much that they're better than us, it's that you're not giving your best. And so now we're jealous because we're insecure because the reality is we're not being what we need to be. And rather than stepping up to be who you're called to be, you'd rather just get mad at somebody else's favor. And so there are times even as a minister, right, where I'll see the favor of God on another minister's life and, and suddenly some insecurity starts to come up and some jealousy starts to well up. And then the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, you know what, if you spent enough time with me like they did, you'd get the same favor. And I'm like, you're right. I haven't been praying like I need to or I haven't been in my word like I need to. So how come God always favors them? Because they spend more time with God. I mean, that's not that complicated. Like, how come you did that for your best friend? Uh, they're my best friend. How come you don't do that for me? Bro, I don't even know you. <laughs> well, why is that any different with God? God, how can you do that with me? Homie, I don't know you. Favor is important, and God grew in favor with both God and man. So what does favor look like? Well, the Bible gives us an example of great men and women who found favor with God. Moses found favor with God. Noah found favor with God. Mary found favor with God. 
It's not that they were better than anybody else. It's just God saw something in them that he decided to show favor on them. And then you grew with favor with people, right? What does favor with people look like? Do people generally like you? Are you likable? And listen, you have a certain control over that. I'm not, I'm not going to be bogus here. But if you got permanent stank face, don't be surprised when nobody likes you. I don't know why nobody ever talks to me because you look like you don't want anybody to ever talk to you. <laughs> well, everybody's like this and everyone like, hey, listen, maybe take the stank face off and go greet somebody and people will be nicer to you. Maybe go out of your way to go make a friend instead of sitting there waiting for somebody to come to you. Maybe break out of your little bubble with your two, three friends and say, hey, listen, I'm going to go talk to somebody else today. Why? Because that's how it works. That's how you become more likable. I'm not saying fake it. I'm just saying look for favor with people. Like be the kind of person that people like, that people want to talk to, that people want to build relationships with. Listen, have favor at work. Genesis 39 verse 4. Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. When you look at the life of Joseph, every bad situation he found himself in because he was a good person, because he found favor in the eyes of the people over him, he was always placed in a favorable position it reminds me like when I was 21 I was working at a warehouse I was by far the youngest man in this warehouse there was 200 employees everybody was in their 40s and up and I was 20 21 years old and everyone had a hard time when all of a sudden I got put in charge of the 200 employees I got promoted twice within six months I got like three raises I was killing it and all the bosses were loving me why because they favored me and so people were hating me I'm like, no, no no you don't understand I work harder than you do I'm nicer than you are. I actually talk to people. I build relationships in the break room. I didn't do that just to get a promotion. I did that because it's who I am. And when they saw that in me, they said, hey, we need to put this guy in charge of more things. When you are a person of integrity and you walk in the way that God called you to walk, people will bring favor upon you. People will like you. In the eyes of other people, Esther chapter 2 verse 15 says this, when the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abihiah to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of her uh, harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Do people see you and like you? And again, the goal is not to be liked by everybody because that's impossible. Not everyone is going to like you. But some of you, you make it hard to like you, you know? Like I was mentioning this, uh, Dada, Dada, wait for him real quick. I was talking to Dada. I was like, Dada, I don't know what it is about you, but Dada showed up in three months and it's like in 17 weddings as a bridesmaid. I'm like, everybody loves Dada. And then I hung out with Dada. I'm like, no, I get it. Dada's awesome. Why? Because she's likable. Because she's fun and she's excited and she's nice and she cares about people. And then really quickly you realize, and it's not fake, it's her, Right? When you just show favor, when you're nice to people, when you go out of your way to help someone, when you give them a smile. Oh, listen, listen, I'm 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 in my last few weeks. I'm just going to talk all the crap I want. There are times, there are times over the years where students will come in and I'll be like, hey, what's up? How's it going? And then I get this. Hey, my name's Joey. What's your name? Listen, I get, I get maybe you're new or maybe it's not, I get that. 
that's, that's not an excuse to be a jerk. Like some of you are like, oh, why are you even talking to me? It's like, why are you being a jerk? Like, get over yourself. Like, and in my head, I'm like, dude, I don't even want to talk to you. You're 12. Like, I don't need 12-year-old friends. I'm just trying to be nice. Like, you act like I need you in my life. You act like my life is incomplete if you don't talk to me. I'm moving on, homie. Right? And so the problem is people try to be nice to you, but because you got some issue or you got some problem or something happening, listen, I'm sorry you had a bad day. That's not my fault. Be nice to me. Okay? I didn't do that to you. Be nice to me. Act like you're awake when I talk to you. Like all these little things, body language, gestures, all these things go so far for whether or not people look at you favorably. And then the funny thing is that's that same people are like, I don't know, everybody's got an attitude. Nobody likes me and everybody's mean. It's like, no, 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 no. It's you. you you're, you're, you're a nasty person and you need to stop that. Okay, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying fake, if you got like a fake smile, you might freak more people out. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, hi, we should be friends. It's like, no, stop that. That's weird. Like don't, people are gonna think you're a psychopath and, just gonna, we're going to avoid you. But what I'm saying is this. Kindness, a smile, a nod, a wave when somebody crosses on you on the road. Those, all those things, they go so far for people just liking you. And again, the goal isn't to be liked. But if our goal is to win souls, if our goal is to build the kingdom of God, if our goal is to represent Christ on earth, don't you think we should be kind? And if you realize that most people in your life don't like you, can I just respectfully say, maybe it's not the people, maybe it's you. And the truth is, you have no control over the people, but you have control over yourself. So focus on that. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. Jesus, 30 years, growing. Growing in wisdom, growing in stature, and growing in favor with both God and men. This is your season of growing. And if I can be very, very heartfelt and very honest, I may not be your youth pastor anymore in the next week or so, but by the grace of God, I still hope you consider me your pastor. And I want to see you when you graduate as a functioning, healthy member of our church. I want to make sure that that pass off between youth ministry and adult ministry is smooth. And I need your help to do that. I need you guys to be here in the next five or 10 years. I need your children to grow up in the way God called you to grow up. But if you wait until you're an adult to all of a sudden start taking your walk with God seriously, it's going to be more challenging. You have the luxury of starting now where you're at. I think honestly, part of why I even got into youth ministry is to make up for some of the years I felt like I missed when I was in high school. There were so many people that I realized I had impact on, I had influence with, that I didn't take the time to try to walk them through what I understood and what I knew. I was too busy trying to have a good reputation at school as far as what they thought was cool than worrying about what God thought. 
But when my, when my agenda shifted, when I began to focus in on who God was and what God thought about me and how God viewed on me versus what everybody else thought, guess what started to change? How everybody else looked at me. And they actually liked me more. They actually respected me more. They actually listened to me more. They, they wanted to be a part of what I was a part of. Why? Because they saw the change in my life and they thought if he could do it in him, maybe God can do it in me. Jesus grew in favor, in stature, and in wisdom. And it wasn't accidental. It was purposeful because he knew he had three years to change the world. Three years of ministry that was going to change everything. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1 through 4. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Why don't you stand with me as we get ready to close. I think everyone in this room knows that I genuinely and deeply love you. And I don't say that facetiously or jokingly. From the bottom of my heart, I care about each of you. And I care about you, I think, differently than I cared about people when I first got into ministry. Because in the 13 years, I've grown. I've grown in wisdom, and I've grown in stature, and I've grown in likability. And in that growth, I realized something Sometimes I think I want more for you than you even want for yourself. I really want to see you succeed. I want to see you guys become everything God called you to be. I want to see you guys break the chains and the cycles of violence and fatherlessness and dysfunction in your families. I want to see you start a new thing in your life. I want to see God use you in ways that he couldn't use the people before you. I want to see God move and, and use you to do ministry and to raise families and to be functioning members of the kingdom of God. I want to see you in heaven, sitting at the table. Maybe they'll give us our own little Excel section where we all hang out and say, hey, that was the ministry where we met God and each other. I want that for you, but I can't want it more than you want it for yourself. Because the truth is, the grind can sometimes feel lonely because not everybody's going to be willing to grind with you. Not everybody's going to be willing to go where you go and do what you do. And as much as I'd like that, I couldn't wait for everybody else. I outgrinded most of the people that I went to excel with. And I think that's why God has me where he has me. But I also think it's why some of them are where they're at. Where are you going to be in the next 10 years? Where are you going to be 20 years from now? I believe one of you, you might be taken over for me one day. Why not? I did. It's possible. But even if it's not that, because that's not all that glamorous anyways. Are you going to be everything God called you to be? Or are you not even going to know God? And I pray that you're the first. So let me pray for you tonight. And let me pray that God would give you the kind of drive and passion 
to grind every day, to read your Bible, to take time to pray, to take time to worship and seek a personal relationship with God, to be consistent in your service, to be faithful and committed every week at church, to find accountability and to help each other when you see somebody slipping to help them get back up. That's what your pastor wants for you. To you to be everything God called you to be and experience the fullness of God in your life. So Father, hear the heart of this humble servant. Lord, I love every person in this room, even the ones who are here for the first time. And I can say that because I know that you love them. And I love who you love, God. And Lord, I just pray even now. Some of us are in this room and we have bad reputations. Some of us are in this room and we lack wisdom. Some of us are in this room and we don't have favor with people or even maybe with you. But the beauty of all this, Lord, is that you've given us choices and that tonight we can choose to grind. We can choose to grow. We can choose to be everything that you called us to be. So, Lord, I pray, would you seek the heart of your servants tonight, God? Would you see who wants to grow and even who doesn't? Would you begin to call them, Lord? Would you begin to draw them in? Would you begin to show them that you want more for them? And Lord, I pray that they would want more for themselves. Father, during this season, their teenage and young adult years, where so many impactful decisions are being made, would you give them wisdom? Wisdom on who to date, wisdom on what schools to go to, wisdom on what career path to choose. God, would you give them stature? Lord, that they would carry themselves in a way that honors and glorifies you. And Lord, would you show favor on them? Would you open doors that no man can open? Would you give them opportunities that they never dreamed of? Would you shape them into the men and women that you have called them to be? so that they would raise up men and women that have been called as well. Lord, I thank you for everyone, God. And I pray that they would bury this word into their heart, that they would bind it around their neck. They would remember it and put it into practice. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you tomorrow in small groups.